We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. A little bit of a special edition here, Ryan. I'm Brian Driscoll, the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. That is Ryan Roberts, our director of recruiting. And as the title down there shows, we actually have it correct this time. It is our recruiting hour. And so, Ryan, we're going to talk. We have some topics that we want to discuss that will kind of be the hour. And then when we're done with those topics, whether it be a little before an hour, at an hour, a little over, they will go into some questions. So going to be recruiting focused today. As always, if you want to ask some team questions, you can. We will answer those at the end, but we're going to stick to the topic. And we are going to stay with recruiting, even though there's some NIL stuff that broke. We're going to talk about that stuff tomorrow. Uh, today, we're going to talk about recruiting. And before we kind of dive into this selected topic, Ryan, I do think it's it's uh, we should probably discuss sort of that there will be some news this weekend, one way or the other, when we look at recruiting. That is on Friday at 4 p.m. Sullivan Absher, mm-hmm. Belmont, North Carolina. Sullivan Absher is going to be deciding between Notre Dame, Clemson, and NC State. We will be live at four o'clock to to discuss his decision, what it means for Notre Dame, one way or the other, and uh, kind of talk about what's next for Notre Dame, one way or the other. So. Ryan, I think I think before we kind of dive into the topic, I do I do want to spend a couple minutes here on the Sullivan Absher situation because, you know, I think this is the first, this is going to be the first recruitment that shows if Harry Heastan can kind of get a guy that's not already kind of pre, uh, predestined to Notre Dame. And I and and you said this from like the first time you talked to Sam Pendleton after he got his offer. I remember you texting me like, "Yeah, that that kid loves Notre Dame." <laughs> I mean, it was just it was so obvious right away that Sam Pendleton was very aware of Coach Eastan's background and what he could do and the academic piece. And as you get to know his family just a little bit, you're like, yeah, I can see why a kid like that would like Notre Dame like he does. So that was going to be one that, you know, let's be honest, there are most Notre Dame coaches probably could have got that one done if they would have offered Sam Pendleton and gone after him. Selvin Absher is a little different situation, Ryan, because even though Notre Dame had him on campus in January and Coach Eastan went down and met him after he was hired and you know, during that that winter sort of on the road period for the staff, you know, Clemson pretty close. I mean, Clemson is pretty close. This is the thing. Clemson is we we talked about this. Clemson, Belmont, North Carolina, is actually closer to Clemson uh, in in distance than where uh, Monroe Freeling is. 
to Clemson, who's actually from South Carolina, right? When you look at where they are. So he's only two hours away from Clemson. Clemson was considered the team to beat. And this was going to be the first, this will be the first opportunity for us to see, okay, can, can Harry Heastan get on the trail along with Tommy Reese and Chad Bowden and go get a kid that maybe wasn't sort of a typical, of course, you're going to get that kid type of prospect. Yeah, no, it, it's going to be really interesting to, to watch because, I mean, for every reason that you just kind of, you know, <laughs> that you kind of named there, Pendleton is a kid who, the, from the first time I spoke to him, said that he wanted to hear from Notre Dame, right? So there was an obvious interest from Notre Dame just to begin with. And then you add in the fact that Coach Heathstand was the one that identified him, right? He saw him and that that's my guy, right? Like, And then it starts from square one at that point. But when you don't start from square one with a guy like a Sullivan Absher, it's a different conversation because they were recruiting this kid since Jeff Quinn was the offensive, offensive line coach, obviously. So that in just general, and we know this, that kills momentum a little bit, right? Like even if you're in a good spot with a guy, when there's a coaching change, the momentum stalls. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that it dies, but it does stall for a second. So then you have to get refamiliarized with the, with the young man. Coach Easton has to you know do his due diligence, make sure I, first and foremost – and identify that, like, yes, that kid is a kid I want in my offensive line room and, to start and, out with. And that's also something that the kids have to be concerned. Like, you talk about breaking the momentum, Ryan. It's not just the first he stand, but if you're Sullivan Absher and Monroe Freeling and Charles Jagasaw and all these kids, Jagusa and all these kids, it's, okay, Does is Coach he stand going to want me? And that's going to create some doubt. And in that window, and it was like a month between when one guy was hired and fired and the other guy was hired, it was, it was I believe, it was about a month there's sort of a lot of sort of in your head kind of building up like, okay, is this new coach going to want me or not, or whatever the case may be. So back, back to what you're saying though, Ryan, but it's not just on Notre Dame and Notre Dame's end that, 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 that creates some of that, that, that decision-making process. Yeah. And, and it obviously coach Stan did identify him and said, yes, I obviously want him in the class and he became a priority, but even before coach Stan was there, I didn't feel overly great about that recruitment I wasn't I will I I've been you know very candid about this is the fact that I didn't love where they were with Sullivan Absher I always thought they were running a, a distant second not you know not just not that they weren't in it at all but what I thought Clemson had separated themselves to be honest with you and then obviously he gets back on campus for the blue gold game and that completely changes you know it's it's a combination of Alumni on campus, the vibe, the the atmosphere around Notre Dame, the relationships that he's building with the coaches and the players and the other recruits that are on campus. And now you go into this week, this week, week, Brian, on Friday, of course, and you feel pretty good about this one, man. Like, obviously, you know, we 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 have kind of done a complete 180 as far as how we feel this recruitment is kind of lending. And I would. I mean, Notre Dame is the favorite going into that one, right? And we always talk, we've been talking that it's been a an odd year for a Clemson Notre Dame battle for these offensive linemen from the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have is- an article coming up on that this week as well. I got, I got to edit and stuff, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting look at it. It really is. It's, it yeah, really it's, is. it's not a typical one at all. And I mean, Notre Dame is, is, I mean, I know Clemson technically didn't make Sam Pendleton's top le- top four. That was right. like his finalist. It's because that was a strategic move. Let's be honest about that. Schools are good <laughs> about that. Notre Dame's previous staff made a killing. I don't know if the if you know Brian Polian never lost a recruit at Notre Dame. Never. 
they always dropped a kid before he was ready to make a decision, right? That's that's just how it goes. So there, there's str- strategy in that, Ryan, you know, where they're they're right on the kid and all of a sudden they ba- back out even though that's a big need for them. No, they knew what we knew, that he was going to go Notre Dame. And so you bow out in hopes of then saving face with – and it's a smart strategy, if we're being honest, because now it's like you can go to – uh, Absher and Monroe Freeling and some of these other guys say, hey, look, you know, we, we backed out of that one. We were going to let Notre Dame have that one because you're our guy. Right. And, right. and it, it's it's actually – I was joking with the strategy thing, but it's it's actually a smart aspect of recruiting. Now, Notre Dame just did it to save face. Some of those guys just did save face. But there is some strategy involved in that too, and I think Clemson did it more from a strategy standpoint rather than saving face standpoint. Right, right. Well, and, and I'm glad you illustrated it that way because – all that to say is that Notre Dame is on number two of the Clemson versus Notre Dame battle for an offensive lineman. And they have a chance to go at, at worst two out of three if they're able to close right. on, on Absher this Friday. So it's an interesting battle because, again, it's a proximity debate versus a developmental debate from a Notre Dame side. But you have to love where they are for solving Absher, which if you asked me a month ago, I would have still said, don't feel great about it, but I feel great about it now. So we're in a good spot. So that'll be Friday at four o'clock. Obviously, we'll we'll carry that one. We'll we'll break it all down for you. We'll have a commitment preview, hopefully the, that morning before that, and we'll dive into uh, sort of what's next for Notre Dame following whatever the decision that he makes will be. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ryan, let's let's dive into our next topic of conversation. And our next topic of conversation is kind of looking at where things stand with Notre Dame's kind of new coaches, right? You know, Brian Kelly completely overhauled his coaching staff this offseason, which I think ended up being a positive, right? You get kind of as much of, you know, it, it's not even a knock on guys like Mike Elston that that I thought, you know, did some really nice things at Notre Dame or other guys that left. It's just more about you want to make sure that when you're trying to really build the program your way, you have as few people as possible that are going to be saying, well, we used to, well, we used to, we did it this way, we did it that way. No, it's like, okay, coach, how do you want to do it? Because, you know, I'm kind of new here. 
And and some of the people that were brought back, or one of the, the person was brought back, wasn't necessarily someone who was on board with the way that it used to be, right? And that's obviously Coach Eastan. And some of the coaches that were already on staff are guys that Marcus Freeman has either worked with in the past, like Mike Mickens, or a guy like Chris O'Leary, who, even though he was on staff before my, Coach Freeman arrived, was someone that, you know, Coach Freeman had a big role in promoting him to the safeties coach. So, like, it's a heavy influence of, of people. Even, you know, you look at things like, you know, the, the, the GA on defense, James Laronitis is, you know, former teammate of Marcus Freeman's, right? So you have a very, uh, you, you were able to kind of over overhaul things. And so we talked a lot about when the hires are made of, you know, these are the ones we're excited about. This is what we think is going to happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But really you don't know until they get on the road. So we're going to kind of do sort of a, sort of a midterm report card, right? Right. I mean, the reality is, is we're now in month five, there's going to mm-hmm. be a signing day in month 12, right? And then there's going to be a couple periods in between here in the summer where, you know, your your recruiting is is not really allowed, you know, when camp starts and they get those dead periods. And so we're almost to the midway point and we wanted to kind of do this at the beginning of May to just really look at how, how the new coach is done and – evaluate what they've done so far and then discuss what they need to do moving forward to really close out and and meet their needs and objectives and prove that, you know, like what coach Freeman said is you can't be just a coach here, right? Like you've got to be able to recruit and we'll find out if that's true or not. And look, we've got to start with the guy that's had the most success so far, right? I mean, the one coach that of all the coaches and they've all multiple have had really strong influences or impact so far, but the guy that's clearly had the biggest impact so far is Al Washington. I mean, you talk about he's landed three commitments so far, and Devin Houston at number 192 overall, according to the 247 Sports Composite, that's your lowest-ranked defensive line commitment right now. And think about that. They've got four kids committed in 2023, another kid committed in 2025. The lowest-ranked guy is Devin Houston at number 192. Crazy. Uh, obviously, Keon Keeley and Brendan Vernon were already on the staff, but you know, obviously, Coach Free, uh, Coach Washington has been able to to play a huge role in landing Bubakar Traore, Devin Houston in the twenty three class, and uh, Brandon Davis twenty twenty four. So, Ryan, I, I guess to wrap it up really easily, uh, so far so flipping good for <laughs> Al Washington when it comes to his early impact on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll call it a progress report, right? And I'll. I'll <laughs> I mean, Al Washington was a Big Ten recruiter of the year, right? So we went into this situation where he had been a linebacker coach. What was the the defensive line in implementation as far as a coach going to look like? We know he had done it in the past, obviously dating back to even his you know his time with uh, Harold Landry at Boston College. So he has had experience in that department, and your ex- your expectations were high as a recruiter because he, I mean the just the reputation he had created at Ohio State was was, you know, impressive to say the least. So he comes in and it's quiet for a little bit, but it's going to be quiet because you, like you said, you already had Keon Keeley and Brendan Vernon on the, on the, in the class already for him. And of course, Brent, uh, Brendan Vernon's a top hunter player by basically everybody. Keon Keeley's a five-star recruit basically by everybody. And I think the first thing that you do when you step in the door is you have to make sure that those guys are fully on board, right? Like they obviously Mike Elston recruited them. We have nothing but positive opinions of Mike Elson as a football coach, you have to now show, hey, 
I'm Al Washington. I'm different than Mike Elston, but you should still come play for me because I'm a great coach and I'm a great developer and I can do all these great things for you. So that's the first and foremost thing is that you had to get there and you had to keep Keon Keeley in the class. Brendan Vernon, you weren't too worried about that, but Keon Keeley being a five-star from the state of Florida, you have to make sure that he is fully on board and understands the vision long-term when you're out Washington. So that's step one. And then we've talked about this. This defensive line class has a chance to be special. Immediately after Bubakar Traore decommits from Boston College, Notre Dame becomes a real player. Coach Washington, of course, a part of that big brigade of you know closing now, he makes he makes the the move obviously, and mm-hmm. that happens relatively quick after the last visit, obviously. And then Devin Houston's a guy where he closed on him, and I should say the staff closed on him mm-hmm. despite him not being back on campus. So that. Right. I, that's right. paramount to the impact that he's had. And then you're just talking to Brandon Davis Swain when Sean, I mean, I talked to him briefly, but Sean had a chance to go a little more in depth with him. And everything he said about why this was the right time as a 2024 kid in what was that, uh, April, right? Or late mm-hmm. March, whatever it was. And he is a 2024 kid who is still a sophomore in high school said, I sat down with coach Washington and that was it. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to see anything else. I already liked Notre Dame. As soon as I sat down with him, it was a done deal. So as Notre Dame fans and faithful out there, you should be excited about right. this. Because not only do you have a four-man class in 2023 that is amongst the best – well, definitely among the best in recruiting right now. It's probably will de- be. Hands down the number one three right. line class right now. <laughs> Absolutely. There are some other schools that maybe can catch them, but if they – you know, but that's going to be – we'll get to what could make that uncatchable. But, Ryan, you know, you, you kind of talk about it. Like when I introduced this subject, I talked about the three kids he's landed, right, and which is impressive enough in its own. But I think immediately shifting the focus to uh, – shifting the focus to – Keon Keeley and how important that was is really important because we're feeling a whole lot different about this D line class. If he gets the three, he got, but lost Keon Keeley feeling way different. And absolutely, you know, and it kind of started when, when coach Washington was hired, you know, Keon had some very public things to say about it that were positive. You're like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, good sign. But that was, that was big because again, you know, Keon Keeley has a chance to be the best prospect in this class. For, mm-hmm. for Notre Dame and I would argue has a chance to be the best non-quarterback in this entire class not not just for Notre Dame but for in the country if he can continue developing as a player he's already a top five to ten type of player I think he's like number three on on three sports right three or four yeah something like that so that was a huge one and 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 look it's important and the first two guys we're going to talk about are, are going to be line coaches because you know I wrote an article yesterday Brian that Look, there's this notion that people say, well, you know, you got to win this way. If you're going to win a championship, you got to do it this way. And 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 I, I'm not a believer that there's one way to win. LSU won a completely different way than Alabama won their first several titles, right? And LSU, you know, their title in 2019 was different than the one they got in 2007. You look at Ohio State does it differently. You know, Alabama does theirs. You know, Clemson's done it differently. Like everybody does it different ways. You have to do what what works best for you and your program, based on what you can recruit, the systems you want to employ, and then the schedule you play. And so, when I look at Notre Dame, for me, I think Notre Dame can get outstanding skill players. There's no doubt they they have been. I mean, they've they've had multiple first round draft picks in the last 10, 15 years at receiver. They've had several kids picked in round two and three. 
you know, they've been able to produce great tight ends and good running backs. And, you know, there was a time back in the day where Notre Dame was pumping out first round defensive or defensive backs every year. But even back then, Notre Dame didn't often have the depth of speed across the board at those places. And I think that's still going to be true. I don't know if Notre Dame's ever going to put a receiving core on the field that's going to look like the one Ohio State put on the field in 2020 that had three top 12 draft picks. I, I don't I don't know if they're ever going to be able to have a receiving core like the one Bama had a few years ago that had like, what, four first-round draft picks. Well, on and, it, right? and, the, and the Ohio State one might have a top 20 kid next year as well. So and it's, he was it's also insane. on the 2020 team, right? Yeah, and so yeah. I don't know if they're going to have that kind of depth. But here's what Notre Dame can and should be able to do. They have to be able to dominate in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And there have been years where, for example, if the 2015 team dominated in the trenches on both sides of the ball, Notre Dame wins a title that year. There's no question in my mind. Now, they should have dominated on both sides of the ball in the trenches because they had NFL players across the board of defense, but there are reasons why. The point, however, is that they didn't dominate. Right? We could go back into some, you know, Brady Quinn had some years where if they had the kind of defense that Notre Dame's had the last three, four years. That 05 Notre Dame team might have been something if they had a defense like the one they have now, right? You know, and, and so we could kind of play this game, you know, going back is there's been years that they've been dominant on one side of the ball, but not the other. And this is a year where, you know, this is a, a situation where I think I, based on hiring Al Washington, hiring Harry Heastan, which are two huge moves, and the emphasis that they have on recruiting, including Marcus Freeman taking a very personal uh, place not just with recruiting the defensive line, but but when I talked to Elijah Page the other day, and you've had this, you've had Monroe Freeling tell you the same thing. They don't just talk to Harry Heastan and Tommy Reese; they're talking to Marcus Freeman. And I think that's a big thing. That's a really, really big thing, right? To have your head coach because you have to be able to dominate in the trenches if you're going to win a championship in Notre Dame. And and this class is a huge step. You got a really good class last year. Right, came up a little short numbers and interior impact, but you combine that with an, an elite twenty twenty three class, it maybe starts the process where you know you're becoming that team that's pumping out NFL players, you know, year after year after year on the D line. Notre Dame's got to get there. The offensive line, we're not worried about. We know it's going to get there as long as Harry he stands here. Maybe that's a you know blind faith or whatever, but that's just the track record, right? The D line has to show it. I was actually more confident that Al Washington was going to be able to recruit or coach the D-line than I was recruited. I know a lot of people were like, oh, he's going to be a great recruiter. I wasn't as sold on that, to be honest with you. The reason I say that is is if you look at the great linebacker class he had at Ohio, for Ohio State, I think all those kids were from Ohio. I mean, C.J. Hicks is from Ohio. Sonny Styles is from Ohio. Uh, Reed Powers is from Ohio. Uh, I'm trying to think of who the other linebacker was they got in that class. I know I'm drawing a blank here. Um, they 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 had a really good... It was a four-man class when they added Sonny Styles to it. Oh, gee, give me just give me one second. I'm pulling up the list, trying to remember who that fourth guy was in the linebacker class last year. So I said C.J. Hicks was from Ohio, Sonny Styles from Ohio. That's two five-star kids. Gabe Powers from Ohio. So yeah, it looks like they just got the three, right? So let me see here. D.N. Yeah, they just got the three. That was a really really good linebacker class, right? But they were all Ohio kids. Mm-hmm. It, it's they, they didn't recruit like that every single year, if we're being honest, right? And then could you then go recruit defensive linemen at a place like Notre Dame that way? That was a different story. Look at the year before, the two linebackers they signed the year before, Reed Carrico, who was a, a, a four-star kid, top 250 kid, also from Ohio. 
You go back to 2020, and, and it was, it's a very similar story for the most part. You know, you, you look at the linebacker class. You had Cody Simon from Jersey because Notre Dame didn't push for him. Had a couple guys. Court Williams was in that class, but I don't believe he was recruited by by uh, uh, Coach Washington. So I wasn't as sold on it. I needed to see that he could recruit because you can't just recruit a bunch of in-state top 50 kids in, in Notre Dame. You got to go right. across the country, and he's done that. You know, Keon Keeler being from Florida. Devin Houston being from uh, Maryland by way of Canada, you know, Bubakar Traore being from Massachusetts, Jason Moore being from Maryland. Like there is nobody in this backyard you can go get. Brandon Davis Swain is the closest thing to that. And so I think that's a big, big, big part of this conversation, Ryan, is, you know, I do think he answered some questions for me and that encourages me even more because I thought the coaching thing would be the one thing I could point to and say, yeah, I saw him coach the BCD line. I yep. saw what that group could do. I know he can coach the D-line. The question is, can he can he recruit against Bama? And can he recruit against Ohio State for Ohio kids? It's easy to recruit Ohio kids to Ohio State, but can you recruit Ohio kids away from Ohio State? Whole different animal. That we didn't know, and so far, so good when it comes to Coach Washington in that regard. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I like that you point to as kind of as I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Harold Landry, obviously, the development, and you just kind of reemphasize that right there. He did an excellent job. And, and the important part about that was he was a main recruit for Harold Landry and Max Richardson, who's a linebacker at Boston College. They were sneaky good football players, man, because right. they were not highly rated kids. They were like three-star recruits. They were not high recruits at all. So that tells me that he can identify talent and he can develop talent. Right. And now he's showing you that the Ohio right. State stuff was not just Ohio. Like he can go right. get a Bubakar. He can go get a Devin Houston from Maryland, which is a a, a – territory that we have talked right. about needs to be touched by Notre Dame. And not one Notre Dame's had a ton of success for recently. Exactly. That's that's the key. And like to the back of the BC point, I mean, we talk about Harold Landry who had 22 tackles for loss, 16 and a half sacks, but but often gets lost that year is Kevin Kavalik had 14 and a half tackles for loss. Zach mm-hmm. Allen was also a defensive lineman on that team. He had 10 tackles for loss. You know, those, those guys could get after the quarterback, Zach Allen and Kevin Kavalik combined for 10 and a half sacks. It's pretty impressive when you consider the other defensive end had 16 and a half, right? And and so when you look at it, you say, you know, if he can get BC kids to play at that level, I know he can get the kids in their range going to have. Yep. So it, it, it's a really big thing for him. Now, Kent, he's done a really good job. I would argue that, that right now Notre Dame has a chance to have a top five to seven D-line class right now. And, and that might be too low because of, you know, you have a Keon Keeley, but to me, to really make this a generational D-line class, one that you just look and say, boy, we haven't seen a, a class like this at Notre Dame in a long, 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 long time. He's got to close on Jason Moore, in my opinion. Like, to me, Jason yep. Moore is the difference between, man, you had an excellent D-line class. You got a five-star, you got some really good football players. Man, those kids are all starters, and you're going to be you're gonna be good to go. But, but to have that one where people talk about this D-line class, kind of like they have past Georgia classes and Alabama classes and – to a degree, the AM class last year, you you need Jason Moore. You need that that second e, tr- truly elite prospect. All the other guys are, are top 50 to 100 guys, in my opinion. Je- Devin Houston's a top 150 guy. Jason Moore, to me, is a top 50 guy right now. With with And the gap between him where he is as a top 50 guy and being a five-star is not that great. It's one good offseason, and, and he could be that guy. That's going to be the key for Coach Washington. Can you really close it out, bat a 1,000, and get that final piece to make this a 
in my opinion, what would be a generational defensive line class for Notre Dame. And what a way to start your Notre Dame career. He might want to rethink this whole thing because he's like, well, now people expect this from me every year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's nowhere to go but down. Uh, I, right. I say kiddingly, but no, that, but in seriousness, Jason Moore, getting him has to be the final piece of this to really take this thing over the top. Yeah. I mean, you quantified it perfectly. It goes from a really good class to an elite class if you get Jason Moore, a program changing type of class. Like, I, I think when you think of Coach Washington, obviously with his Ohio State ties, when you think of Ohio State when they've been at their best, they're trotting out the Boses that go right into Chase Young, that go into the next great defensive end. Like, that's just what they've, that's when Ohio State's been at the best. And I think you need to see a similar thing at Notre Dame now, right? Like you need to see a pipeline of great football play, of great players at that position because the defensive end position is so important. And if you're able to walk out off the bus, Keon Keeley, Jason Moore, Brandon Vernon, they're all walking together. Man, that is a difficult sight to see for an opposing offensive coordinator. Let's be honest, man. Like those guys are impressive looking dudes. And I agree with you. And I want to emphasize it more for people because I feel like we talk about Jason, obviously a lot, but I don't think that we really, at least I don't think I've done it enough to just kind of say this for a second. I think that Jason Moore is a top 50 player right now, like you just said, but this kid is legitimate upside, like top 15 to 20 player in the country. If he hits his ceiling, I think he's that special of a player. This is not just a, you know, a throw-in type right. of player. Like, this guy, in most years, is the best defensive lineman you're going to sign. This guy is a special, special football yeah. player. I mean, you talk about, like, the defensive line Notre Dame faced in 2018 against Clemson, right? I mean, the kid on the opposite end of you – know, I'm trying to remember the kid's name. Uh, the kid that was the lower pick for Clemson in 2016. I'm, I'm – I, I, I had to, I had to take him Dodd. Dodd. Yeah, Kevin yeah. Dodd. You know, he was, yep. a, he was a really good football player. Yep. No, but you look at the rest of that line. You had Cleland Farrell was a top five pick in 19 and a half tackles for loss. Christian Wilkins was an elite player, first round pick, 15 tackles for loss. Austin Bryant was that's who that's who I was thinking of. Austin Bryant. Kevin Dodd was with was Shaq Loss. Uh Shaq, uh, yeah, Shaq Lawson. You had Xavier Thomas, you had Dexter Lawrence. Like you just had like big time NFL players across the board. And you think about what that team was able to do, just blow out Notre Dame because Notre Dame couldn't score on them. Alabama couldn't score on them. Like you couldn't score on that defense when they were healthy. And Notre Dame didn't have to face Dexter Lawrence. People forget he was suspended. He didn't even play in the postseason. So I mean, that's just that tells you how good that unit was. And and you're you're looking at a similar type of group if they can get Jason Moore. And, and you know what else too is we've talked about the linebacker recruiting in recent years. Obviously, Clemson had Isaiah Simmons, who was a linebacker safety. He was he was that hybrid role, right? The one that Trenton Simpson now plays mm-hmm. for for Clemson. But Clemson really hasn't had great inside linebackers during their time. They've had really good college players like Ben Bolware and then James Skalski and like that brand of player. But imagine Kendall Joseph. Yeah. yeah, Who who are good, solid players. Obviously not NFL players. Right. Because Trey Lamar was a good all ACC player, big thick kid, but he went undrafted. Right. Exactly. To to your point. Yeah. And I'm just imagining a world if Notre Dame's able to put together this class in a couple years, we're talking about guys like Drake Bowen. Jalen Sneed, that type of player playing behind him, man, it's just the speed that you have on the first, second, and third level potentially just because of this recruiting class, right. just because of 2023, it's it could be special. It right. really could be. James Lawrence uh, Zensi had a, a great – I mean, this is – I get where people are talking about. Once our 2022 linebackers with the 2023 defensive line class get a little older, 
I don't care who they line up on offense. I think that's where that excitement comes from. And again, we're not even talking about how you know they've got a top fifty recruited linebacker in this year's class, right? And and they who they did so well in last year's linebacker class. They've already moved Josh Burnham to defensive end. Right. You know, it, it, I mean, if, again, you've got to be able to dominate the trenches. I, I did want to address one thing that was was brought up, Ryan, when we were talking about it from Quinn. He said, but didn't Washington not get Vernon out of Ohio when he was at Ohio State? Sorry if I misunderstand the point you made. He didn't recruit Brennan Vernon. Uh, he was the linebackers coach at Ohio State. He recruited linebackers. And, of course, he had his region. Somebody asked about Travion Henderson. He was the number two to Travion. He was the regional recruiter, right? But that was a Tony Alford deal, right? It, it, it's You look at the success he had, it was recruiting the linebacker position. He was the linebackers coach at Ohio State. So Larry Johnson was the one responsible for getting or not getting defensive linemen, and, and it was him who they beat for Brennan Vernon, not Al Washington. Mm-hmm. So, just want to make sure that we're we're clear on that. So let's 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 move on, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Offensive line. So obviously, here he stand got on the board here in the last couple of weeks when he landed Sam Pendleton, four star kid out of North Carolina, Ronald Reagan High School, and said, I think it's probably Faftown or Paftown, you know, Paft, uh, you know. So we'll see if the it's P F A F F T O W N. So yes. one of those is probably going to be silent. I'm not sure, sir, which one it is. You know, you get him. That was a, a really unique recruitment, as we said earlier. You know, that was a good pit start for Coach Stan, but it's one of those ones where I kind of felt like once they got involved, Notre Dame was going to be hard to beat. You know, it's just, you know, but then you got to give Coach Stan the credit for that because why? Why, why was Notre Dame going to be hard to beat? It's because of the tradition that was started by who? Harry Stan, <laughs> right? Right. So he gets some credit, but the point is, it wasn't like it was a really. Let's be honest, it wasn't a super challenging recruitment. Right, we, we've I've accused Jeff Quinn of winning not challenging recruitments in the past. We're going to be fair when we look at Coach Eastan. That's one you should have won. I mean that 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 shouldn't have been a difficult one. The rest are going to be harder, right? And, and even the kids that like Notre Dame, like a Monroe Freeling, like a Sullivan Absher, like a Charles, you know, Jagasaw, like some of those, you know, Elijah Page, Sam, you know, Sampson, Okanlola, those are going to be a little harder. Because even though they love Coach Eastan and the tradition he's built, there's also a lot of attraction to other programs, whether it be local or up and coming and those type of things. And so we're going to learn a lot about you know Coach Eastan's ability to really do what he did the first time, which is go across the country, get the guys that you want, that you think have the really high ceilings, and turn them into elite linemen. That's what he did the last time around. We're going we're going to have to find out because again, good start with Pendleton. But we're really going to find out if he's that recruiter moving forward. And it's going to come down to his ability to not only get Sullivan Absher, but can you close on Monroe Freeling? Can you close on Charles uh, Jagasaw? Can you add that fifth guy? You know, that's going to be the thing that's going to really tell us if he's back to being an elite recruiter of, of top offensive linemen. Said perfectly. I, Pendleton's a really good start. He's obviously the, a, a pre, I don't want to say premier. He's a, ideal interior player in this class whether he lines up at winds up as guard or his center maybe even long term he's a really good first addition to this class but for me coach he stand and he's he has obviously a reputation as a really good recruiter so we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt and he has started off this where we talked about Sullivan Absher a bunch to start this show he has I think flipped Notre Dame into their favor obviously in that recruitment now, the important part of this is that you do not want to leave this recruitment without at least one to two true offensive tackles. And we've talked about that a ton in the past. Mm-hmm. You need to get a Monroe Freeling and a Charles Jagasaw. You need those players in this class. Because if you get a 
again, and obviously Austin Saraveld is, is now off the board committed to Ohio State. But if you would have gotten Austin Saraveld, Sam Pendleton, um, then you would have got a, a, a uh, Sullivan Absher, like those types of players who may all end up being interior players down the line, then you're going to get in trouble with the numbers t- type of conversation. But you know a guy like Monroe Freeling is a true left tackle. You know this. Charles Jagasaw could be a right tackle. Maybe he's a guard eventually. Maybe Sullivan Absher could stick a tackle. The, the balancing of tackles and interior player in this class, I think, is absolutely huge. And they've put themselves in a great position. You have Pendleton already committed. You've put yourself in great position with Absher. You put yourself in a really good position with Monroe Freeling. You have to close that one. And you've been in a good spot with Charles Jagasaw for a while. It just has not closed yet. Right. So closing on those guys is paramount. But again, if everything happens, and right now, I would say that Notre Dame is the leader for all four of those guys I mentioned, because obviously Pendleton's in the class, so they are obviously his leader. The other three, I think they're in, the, in, in, in a really good spot, and then we'll see what happens with a guy like Elijah Page, maybe down the line, mm-hmm. or a Joe Odding that was just just offered recently. Like Maybe he's a guy, long-term play. We'll see what happens with that recruitment. But if you land all the players right now in this class at offensive line, that you are currently in the lead for, Harry Heaston has answered any question of right. anybody that wants to know if he still has the fire to be a recruiter. And just so we're clear, Ryan, you you believe, and and I and I now believe, I didn't before with Absher, obviously because he wasn't, but now you believe that Notre Dame is the leader for Freeling, Jagasaw, and Absher, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And I think they're going to be a player with Elijah Page, but I don't think they lead for him. I think they got to get him on campus, and that's still a relatively new relationship. Joe Odding, I think if they make a push for him and they want him, I think they could get him as well from, from the early things I've been told. But you know, I, I think the tackle part is important because I, I think that's why, to me, that's why I think you've got to hit a home run on. You've got to go – you've got to hit the inside trade on those three we just talked about. You, you've got – because I think, I think two things, number one, right? This is why this is so important. Because all three of those kids are looking at schools that you need to to kind of conquer or keep behind you. And this is an important part of this. Like this is one of the things we don't talk enough about in recruiting. It's not an, it, the reason it's, you know, you need to shop down the right aisle, right? Not, you know, a different aisle that is for the lazy recruiter who doesn't want to put into work. But the reason you need to shop down the same aisle as Alabama and Ohio State, Clemson and Oklahoma and Georgia, not Oklahoma, Georgia and teams like that is because, when you beat them for kids, you're not just adding a really good player to your team. You're keeping one from them. And that's huge. And when you talk about Notre Dame, who are the programs right now that are that that are clearly just are ahead of Notre Dame? And, and when you look at the last three, four years from a production on the field standpoint, from an NFL production standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, to me, Ryan, it, it's really only three schools. Mm-hmm. That that you know, or excuse me, four schools. There's only really four schools, right? It, and and we all know them. It's Alabama, Georgia, and that was true even before the t- they won the title because they beat Notre Dame twice and they had you know been to the playoff and actually won playoff games, something Notre Dame never did. Right. Ohio State, obviously, and then Clemson. Well, if you look at Clemson right now, and if you're going to put together the defensive line class that you're in the process of putting together. And Clemson beats you for two of those three kids. They now have an offensive line class coupled with the two kids I really like that they got from last year. They got a kid from Ohio that I really like, big, strong kid. Uh, They got the kid from their own state that I really like. So they got two good players last year. They were a little short on numbers, but they had two good players. 
if they're able to add Monroe Freeling and Sullivan Absher to the class, all of a sudden, like, hey, you know what? They're putting blockers together that maybe can can keep you from dominating them the way that you can. But if you get the defensive line class you get and you beat them for Monroe Freeling and Sullivan Absher and Sam Pendleton, all of a sudden, now that's how you dominate them in the trenches, right? Because you've been able to beat – you've not only added great offensive linemen to your team to help you handle their elite defensive line, but you've now taken away their top offensive line targets that are going to make it a lot harder for for them to stop your defensive line because the one thing that kept Notre Dame in that game in 2018, the, the matter of fact, the only thing that really kept them in the game, two things. One, that was one of those weird years where Notre Dame had two really good corners, right? But the biggest reason those corners had success is because Notre Dame's defensive line flat whipped Clemson's offensive line in that game flat whipped them. Now, Notre Dame couldn't do anything on the other side of the ball, but that side of the ball held up. And that was with a you know good offensive line. But you start taking away their top targets from them, Ryan, you've not only built yourself up, you're now tearing down a team that's ahead of you. It's why it's important to beat Ohio State for Brendan Vernon. It's important to beat Ohio State for kids that they want. It's important to beat Georgia and Alabama because you've not you've taken guys they want and that's going to hurt them and impact players that they want. And, and I think right. that adds even more value to why it's important that Coach Eastan have this and, and Coach Reese and Coach Bo, uh, Chad Bowden have the success that they need to have when it comes to putting together this elite offensive line. It not only builds you up, but it tears down one of the programs you're trying to chase. Because, like, putting distance between yourself and Michigan with Jagasaw, that's important, right? But it's not as important as catching and beating and passing Clemson. It's incredibly important for him to do that, which adds even more intrigue to what Coach Eastan has a chance to do on the recruiting trail this year. No, it's it's perfectly said again. I, I I always root for you know beating Michigan for anything, but like you said, the fact that Notre Dame is beating a team like a Clemson for several key targets, if they were going to beat an Ohio State, if they're going to keep Keon Keeley in the class that want that an Alabama really wants, right? That is trying to get him in the class. That's the difference there. Beating the best teams in college football for players that they want. And for Notre Dame to separate themselves, like you just said, they need to be able to do that. So yes, I think that we have seen, I mean, and we've seen it in the past, right? Coach Eastan, and, and you've said it before, Brian, it's like he identifies and he go gets his class. He keeps the board small because he knows he's going to get his guys. And I think that it's, it, it is important. I do think it is because, you know, when he got hired, a lot of people had speculation that uh, he, he's not going to want to recruit. He's getting older, right? Like he doesn't want to recruit anymore. If he's able to pull this class that he potentially can, I think that's a big, <laughs> that's a big exclamation point that like, obviously he wants to be here. He wants right. to build something great and he wants to be a part of, Marcus, and one thing we didn't talk about is that we're examining new hires for very different, like demographic of people and backgrounds and resumes. And the fact that that Coach Heastan wanted to come back for Marcus Freeman when he had, he doesn't have anything else to prove. He built offensive line you. He doesn't have anything mm-hmm. to prove. He wants to be here and he wants to be a part of the ideology that Marcus Freeman brings. Right. That I think is important. I think it also says a lot too, Ryan, about about the staff that Coach Freeman can put together and his ability to manage a staff, right? That's such an important thing. Can you not only hire good coaches, but can you get all those coaches like with like you just said, different age groups, different backgrounds, different all types of different things. They're they're very different dudes. 
Can you get them came, all came from different schools? Can you get them all immediately in going in the right direction? It says a lot about Coach Freeman's ability to lead, but also that that he is a guy that 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 guys want to be led by. And I think that's an important thing. The fact that, you know, I don't want to get off tangent too much, but the fact that Notre Dame is now concerned about how does the roster going to shake out because they expected guys to jump in the portal and nobody jumped in the portal. Why? Because everybody wants to play for Coach Freeman. Right now, guys jumped in the portal that 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 had a place to come back to, right? Like Sebo Flemister and some of those guys got in the portal, but that's because they weren't they didn't have a, a an invitation back because they were, you know, seniors and and uh, you know, fifth year senior thing is more of a, a, a you're not entitled to that kind of thing. Right. So it, it really is. It says a lot. It says a lot. Before we move on, Shelton Hager, ninety one, with a super chat. Been a while, Shager Shelton. Maybe just because it's been a while for live viewing. Love you guys. Much love to you, Brian, Vince, Ryan, and Sean. Yeah, Shelton, we haven't seen you in a while on the board or here. Hope you and your family are doing well, man. I hope you and your wife, hope your wife's doing a lot better, and hope you guys are doing well, man. You're still in our prayers. There's no doubt about it. It's good seeing you back in the show, buddy. Absolutely love seeing you back in the show. So thank you very, very much uh, for the super chat. Ryan, I think the guy – the coach that, that that Marcus Freeman hired that was the biggest question mark in every single facet was Chancey Stuckey. He'd been a coach for one year. He had not even seen a, a full recruiting stat cycle through because he didn't arrive at, at Baylor to like just January the year before. The st- right. cycle had already begun. Doesn't even like complete like a full year there, like a full class there. I mean, they signed a class, but it was like, you know, he 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 got a late start on it, and you know, it just it was an unknown. What, what can this guy do? I have no idea. He's been a football coach for one year, and so far, <laughs> you know, obviously we we liked what we saw from him on the fall in the fall as a coach. That was probably the thing that I was least concerned about because I I felt like look as a former receiver playing the NFL, this guy knows the game. He, you know, I assume he'll be able to teach it, you know, to some level degree. And the bar was so low from a coaching standpoint; it was going to be hard for him not to. Not to get there, but I, I think when I look at the other aspect of it, the recruiting piece was the bigger question mark for me. And so far, man, look again, he's got one commitment. That's Braylon James. And he's going to ultimately be judged not on where Notre Dame stands as the leader or not with top players now, but can they sign top players? I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be the thing that is going to ultimately determine whether or not he's judged judge success. But we don't, we're not there yet, right? There's a midterm through the midterm. It's hard not to be impressed with what coach Sucky's done, not just with who he's landed, but where Notre Dame stands with a lot of very, very talented wide receivers. Yeah. It's, I mean, if we're talking about this progress report type of conversation, right? Al Washington's the best in class, but Chansey, and that's, but that's only because three of the last four commits that we've had have been defensive linemen, obviously for Notre Dame, right? But the person I would say, Brian, that has been talked about most from recruits, the guy's name that you hear so often is Chansey Stuckey. And mm-hmm. it's always unprompted, even if it's not. And it's funny because it's not always just the wide receiver recruits either. People just talk about Chansey Stuckey, yeah. about how great of a guy he is. And then obviously he gets on the board with Braylon James, which is a fantastic player, top 100 mm-hmm. ranked player out of the state of Texas. And he has obviously a previous relationship with him because he was at Baylor. And like you said, doesn't have a ton of experience recruiting, but he does know Braylon. And then we're like, okay, what's next now? Right. And then this blue goal visit 
he knocks it out of the park with both Jaden Greathouse, which again, Texas kid, first offer he got was out of, was from Baylor. He has a relationship with him. Some people would expect that like, okay, he's making rounds with guys that he had previous relationships with. Makes sense. But the fact that Rodney Gallagher left that visit, and even if they don't end up with Rodney Gallagher, I think it speaks volumes to the fact of how much ground a person can make up in such a short amount of time and just the impact that he can have on guys in the recruiting world. I think that it says a lot for what Coach Stuckey has been able to do so far. The Carnell Tate thing, that's not anything to blame, in my opinion, on Chancey Stuckey. There's just other factors in that recruitment. That is not a Chancey Stuckey miss, quote-unquote, right? If NIL wasn't a thing, we would be having a different conversation about that. Right, exactly. Exactly. So I th- I think that right now, Chancey Stuckey has probably answered the most questions of the new hires, I would say, in my opinion anyway. And I think he has a chance to, we've talked about it plenty of times, wide receiver recruiting from a depth standpoint this year and from a talent perspective. You needed to sign a really good class. And if they're able to land on top of a Braylon James, a Jaden Greathouse in theory, and they pull, I don't want to call it an upset because I don't think Rodney Gallagher ever had a leader per se, but it would still be a huge monumental win to go into Pennsylvania, a place that's been kind of absent from your recruiting prowess recently. And to get a guy like a Rodney Gallagher, I think would be right. like would be massive, to be honest. Yeah. Well, and and there's other guys. Look, I, I think the recruitment we're not talking about enough that's super important for Notre Dame is Ronan Hannafin. And, you know, we talk about Great House and Gallagher and, and they're highly ranked guys and, and they're talented players. And I don't take anything away from them as players. I mean, they're they're excellent players. I mean, Rodney Gallagher, to me, is a top 100 recruit. I, I talked about this on the message board today at Irish Breakdown that, you know, my my view on on Jaden Greathouse has changed. And, you know, Ryan's adjusting his camera right now, so we'll get him on there so he can hear me when I say this. But. You know, one of the reasons was is because, you know, talking to Ryan and he was adamant that, Jay, that, that Jaden Greathouse was was better than than I thought he was. And so I did a deeper dive in his film and and did some watch some game film. And, you know, my opinion on him has changed a little bit. And I now see a top 100 caliber player because you know, that's just what you got to do. Sometimes you got to get your own biases out of the way. But he's a really talented player. And then take away the ranking. You just look at how the fit would be with him and with Gallagher and all that. But the reason we don't talk about Ronan Hannafin enough more than some of the other things we joked about the other day is he's just not a highly ranked recruit. But the fact of the matter is I don't care. Do you trust rivals and two, four, seven and on three and an Irish breakdown, or do you trust the coaches at Notre Dame, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio state, USC, Georgia, right? LSU. You get the point. Okay. Maybe not LSU, but you get the point on the rest of them. And th- th- those schools are pushing hard Ronan Hannafin. I mean, Nick Saban in that offensive staff at Alabama wants Ronan Hannafin bad at wide receiver. Right. Clemson is pushing for him hard as a wide receiver. With all due respect, those teams have if those teams want a kid at receiver with their track record, I'm listening. Right. I'm listening. And, and so we're not talking enough about him. And, you know, when you and I had some fun today talking about comparisons and style of play comparisons and, and the one that he really reminds me of. And I just it kept popping in my head as I was trying to think of a comparison for for Chris for uh, Ronan Hannafin that wasn't a lazy one. And just Chris Godwin from Penn State kept popping up in my head, you know, and, you know, that guy was a heck of a player at Penn State. And when he's been healthy, he's been a heck of a player in the NFL, you know, at least statistically. 
so to me, he's not a guy we're talking about enough about as far as not just, okay, would he be in, like people said, would he be a nice fourth edition? I don't know if he would rank fourth if they signed the four we talked about, right? I mean, especially from an offer list standpoint, he's another guy that's a very important pickup because the reason I say that is as good as Jaden Greathouse is and Rodney Gallagher is and Braylon James is, Braylon to a degree and Jaden Greathouse to a degree, they're they're battling the big boys for. Rodney Gallagher's being slept on a little bit. For whatever reason, the Ohio States, the Bamas, the Clemsons, they're not pushing for him, which their their mistake is going to be Notre Dame's gain, hopefully. But there's not a player on the board that Notre Dame is going to have to battle the big boys more than Ronan Hannafin. And that's what we talked about, right? Like, yes, those other guys are great players, but if you beat Ron, if you land Ronan Hannafin, and right now I'm not as confident as I was about this. Uh, two months ago. I'm not. I, look, for a, a host of reasons, which you know we put on, we took, talked about in the message board, but you're going to have to beat Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma if you want to get Ronan Hannafin. And that in itself is, is not only adding a big-time player, but that's another aspect of it. And so to me, for Chancey Stuckey, for Marcus Freeman, for Chad Bowden, because this is going to have to be a team effort, that's one that could end up being the hardest of all of them to get because – for whatever reason, as much as Ronan likes Notre Dame, he's decided he wants to carry see this thing through. And you get to a point where you may have as a staff to kind of start making some decisions in late June. Like, look, we love you, Ronan. You're a top guy. You're a must-get. But we can't afford to not get a fourth receiver in this class. And when I say fourth, just pure number. Because I think, you know, you're going to get into situations where, you know, Rico Flores is making his commitment known on July 3rd. Rodney mm-hmm. Gallagher's making a commitment on July 4th. I could see a scenario in which we get, which Jaden Greathouse is ready to make his decision. Right now, I think Notre Dame would rather have Ronan Hannafin than, than Rico and Malik Elzey and some of those guys. But you get into July, and if, and if Ronan's not giving you an indication that he's ready to wind this thing down, you may be forced to say, we've got to go with somebody else because we can't afford to, we can't afford to see this thing through and then miss and that's what's going to make it interesting. But to me, that's the sort of the the dream class right now of guys they're on. And then there's, you know, there's guys like Tyler Williams and guys like that. That's that's when you really see if they've got something going on. But, you know, right now, I, I think that's going to be a tough one. I'm not going to really spend too much time talking about him until he gets on campus. But he's got a chance to finish. But that's going to be the key, Ryan. You've got to finish, right? And I think with Great House, I would say you're you have the best shot at right now with Great House. We could kind of go back and forth on whether Hannafin or Gallagher. I think we both agree that Notre Dame leads or is at least in the lead group and has a good shot to close, but they've got to do exactly that. They've got to close. And neither one of those kids will be on campus at Notre Dame last. They both will have visits after Notre Dame, which we'll address with another question that we have down here. So big, big opportunity for Chancey Stuckey. Great start, but closing is going to be the key. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you would have told me a couple months ago that Notre Dame would maybe have a better chance at some point for Jaden Greathouse comparative to a Ronan Hannafin, I probably would have shook my head. Like, that's not that's not a, a tangible right. thing. That's not possible, right? Right. But like you said, I mean, Ronan Hannafin's offer list rivals the best in, in the nation. Like, it is yeah. a impressive – I mean, you mentioned all the schools, and USC also offered as well. So – and I know a lot of wide receivers probably want to play with Lincoln Riley. Like, that's just a natural mm-hmm. thing, right? So – yeah, it's it's going to be a tough pull, but if you're able to get both the Texas kids in the class that you've been recruiting, a Rodney Gallagher who's a really quick twitch slot that you just don't really have on the roster right now, and then Ronan Hannafin brings 
And I, I really want people to understand this again because we don't talk enough about, about Ronan Hannafin. We don't mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. But I would say here that from the moment me and Brian talked about him when I first you know, came on the Irish Breakdown, I think one of the first things we talked about, Brian, is like, how is this kid not a four-star recruit? Like, right. this kid's a really good player, man. So, yeah, it's it has a chance to be something special. We are off to a great start. We feel that Coach Stuckey is changing a narrative that was, you know, billed as him because, again, he just didn't have the experience. And if he's able to pull off that type of class, then all of a sudden there's no question marks anymore because, I mean, just seeing him in person – I would be very surprised if the wide receiver group, just in general, from a coaching perspective, wasn't much well, much better coached this upcoming season than in previous years. I would. And that's shocked. a low bar. I mean, that's yes. a pretty low bar. Exactly. I think the question is exactly. how much better, right? Exactly. How much better? Yeah. And that's going to be the key. And I expect. I mean, it's already better. It's just how much better is going to be the key. And and that leads into the next part of it, Ryan. Is if you go put a better product on the field, all of a sudden it makes it a little easier to do this thing the next go around in twenty twenty four. Absolutely. And 2024 looks like a really good wide receiver group early on, doesn't it? I mean, Ryan Wingo and Ryan Pelham and Zion Reagans. And there's a lot of really talented wide receivers in 2024. If you're able to close on a couple of these guys quickly, gets the class you want, then all sites for 2024. But got to close. So another coach that we want to discuss is Coach Dela McCullough. And he's had an interesting one, right? So he inherits a running back in 2023, inherits a running back in 2022 who is already signed and on campus by the time he was hired. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, what what are you going to do? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna see your 23 commitments, and I'm gonna get you a 2022 kid, right? I mean, he goes out <laughs> and gets Jabron Payne. You know, it's one of those ones where it's a good pickup, but it, it doesn't necessarily tell us a lot about his ability to recruit in Notre Dame, right? And, and because he had already gotten him to sign with him in Indiana. There was all that relationship. You know, Notre Dame was the biggest school that was pushing for him. And then you look at the 2023 class, and it's like, well, you know, it's it's a really down year running back. There's really only, you know, as I'm – a buddy and I were kind of going over this yesterday, Ryan, and we were kind of going over the, the running back class and just how mediocre it really is this year. You know, and, and we're, we're kind of looking at running backs. We're like, okay, obviously Caleb back or Cedric Baxter's legit. Right. Like, I don't know if you had a chance to see Cedric Baxter, but he's legit. He's a really good football player. He's, he's a, a top boy. back. Yeah. He's a top back in, in any year. Justice Haynes is a really good player. I don't think he's the elite back that some make him out to be. Like, Rivals has him as the number one back in the class. He's not that. Richard Young's a really good back, in my opinion. But, but it's just after that, it kind of like there's a good backs, but there's not a lot of elite backs. And obviously, he set his sights on, on Jaden Lamar. And Notre Dame is making a push for him. That that's a, be a very telling recruitment. Can you get him from the West Coast? I would imagine Jalen's recruitment will be over sooner rather than later. And can you close out on him? Is going to be a, a test for him. But the real test for Dylan McCullough is really going to be 2024. I think that's going to be the test for him because he he's in a situation where he can't go out and recruit a bunch of backs because a there aren't a lot of backs in this class. B, you already have a back in your class, so that adds a little bit of intrigue to it. We're going to learn a lot more about him over the next year than we will over the next couple months. And I think he's going to make a splash and has already made a splash, but it's hard for him. Like he, There isn't a Monroe Freeling out there for him to get in this class. There isn't a Braylon James out there for him to get in this class, a Keon Keeley, a Jason Moore for him to get in this class. It's just that guy's not out there in our opinion. So – 
his situation is a little bit different. And 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 we're also going to talk about you know Jared Parker, similar situation. Actually, let's just kind of talk about them both now, Ryan, is he inherits sure. a top 150 player and they're kind of done. The only kid that they would still like to get is Deuce Robinson, who's a you know five-star caliber guy. But because you dropped him for months before Jared Parker got hired, that's an impossible task to ask. You know, in my opinion. So he's another guy. We're going to learn a lot more about Jared Parker as a recruiter in 2024 than we are in 2023 from an identification standpoint. Can you ID top players and then can you go get them? So -hmm. those are two guys that right now, if I were to give them a grade, it would sort of be, you know, uh, an incomplete, you know, or, 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 you know, to be determined or or maybe say, hey, you know, they've uh, maybe this would be if they've kind of, uh, tested out of the first half of the class, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not being graded on the same way that the other coaches are simply because the opportunity is not there for them to go out and make that kind of splash. So we're going to learn a lot more about them and that's going to be key. Like, you know, Jared Parker. Okay. Can you identify who you guys want and go, go get them early? Maybe you can get these guys early since you don't have a lot of 2023 stuff to worry about other than helping on some other guys. I think that so, so, so when you look at Dylan McCullough, They've already started offering some running backs. You and I both love that kid from Wisconsin. Like, if he's able to go up there and get that kid, it's like, okay, mission accomplished. But that's not it. I mean, there's a lot of good backs in the 2024 class. It's early yet, yeah. but it's definitely looking like a better class nationally than the 2023 class from a depth standpoint. Would you Would you agree with that, Ryan? Yeah, from everyone I've seen so far. I mean, you're, you're talking about Corey Smith, who's obviously a really talented player out of the state of Wisconsin. Stacey Gage from IMG is a, a legit, legit back. There, there's Davion Gaze. Yeah. Davion Gaze. Um, yeah. What's a Brian Jackson? That's a kid that they've offered. Oh, out from. of Texas. Yeah. yeah, he's, yeah, a, that's yeah. A, he's a big boy. He's you know what I mean? Really so it, it's a, you know, Anthony Carey, they've already offered a scholarship. They're still recruiting Cameron Davis, who's committed to Florida State. He's a talented back. He has some interest in mm-hmm. their name. Jared Gibson, Nathaniel Palmer. I mean, so they've already thrown some offers out. Yep. Stacy Gage, they're not going to, they're, they're, they're not in that one, right? Like that's not right. one that they're, they're in on, but you know, a lot of these other guys you look at and say, Hey, look, these are guys that I think they have a shot with. Mm-hmm. These are guys that they got to go out and they've got to get one of those guys, right? That's going to be the key for coach McCullough. And yep. then for, for coach Parker, it's like, okay, you're at tight end you, right? <laughs> Don't make the mistake. The last guy made And John, John McNulty did some really good things in their name as a position coach. But he kind of recruited like he was at Rutgers early on, you know, and, and when you got Jack Nickel and, you know, they caught some breaks and they ended up with a really good class last year. Yep. But it's like, don't make that early mistake that you can't recover from. Don't, and then don't get a guy like Cooper Flanagan, who we like, you should have got Cooper Flanagan and then stop. Right. Like those are the mistakes that he made. And, you know, look, let's be honest. They don't get Eli Raritan if his dad, grandpa weren't graduates of Notre Dame. Can I mean, can we, can we say that? Like, I mean, He's not picking Notre Dame after you ignored him for several months if he, he's, he doesn't have those family ties. And, and so he's going to have to not make those mistakes and go out next year in 2024 and say, here's the elite players of this, at this position. Go out and get, get them because you should be getting Michael Mayer types all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a that's a big part of this whole thing. I, I can't believe they ignored Eli Raritan. I mean, he runs a one-four-something, ten-yard split. I mean, split, right? I know, right? <laughs> I can't believe somebody reported that. Like, that's like you're telling me Eli Raritan, five months removed from a torn ACL and surgery, is putting up better 10 yard splits than Kyle Pitts did at the NFL Stouting Combine. Come on. 
I mean that if it's if it was truthfully a one four something, that's like a cornerback elite time. That's elite corner speed. That was bad. Exactly. That was better than Kevin Austin. Who I mean, that's come on, guys. Like, can can yeah. we just you know? And then you have to like talk people off the off of like, look, he didn't. I, I'm, I promise you, he did not run that f- less five months removed from ACL surgery. Yeah, you know, like you know. And anyway. and if you're on the if you're on the message board, you know, you know, you know that little shot about. I just yeah, took. I'm, just, I'm sorry, you just I had, had to, to get me fired bit. up on that. One. I I had to take it, man. I saw that number two, and I'm like, guys, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad that we coupled McCullough and yeah. Parker together, though. I think that was because they're in unique move. situations. Yeah, yeah. No, no, and, and I, again, I, I'm starting a, a kind of a mini series that's going to be coming out soon. That I'm basically, t- you know, doing kind of a report card type of thing, at least like a progress report, wherever we want to kind of phrase it. But it's it's true. I mean, you fall in one, you fall into two positions that are not going to traditionally carry a lot of recruits. Like it's not like an offensive line coach where you're going to have four to five recruits, three, whatever it might be. There's multiple positions, right? We're talking about a tight end that in this class there's going to be one to two players. And then we're talking a running back who we have one player in in with Cedric Irvin Jr., obviously, and you can hold a second. So at most, each of these classes are holding two players. You And both these coaches walk in with one guy already committed. We mentioned Cedric Irvin Jr. at running back. We mentioned Cooper Flanagan at tight end. Both good players. There's no doubt about it. But you've put yourself in a position, if you're Coach Parker, you're pretty much going – a leader bust, right? Like it's either you're, you're going, going to get a guy. Bust. That's really yeah, it. There's only one bust. tight end worth taking because I'd rather use that extra scholarship on a fifth defensive lineman, fifth offensive mm-hmm. lineman, fifth receiver, fifth, six DB for there's, I'd rather use that on anyone else than a second tight end in this class, unless that second tight end is Deuce Robinson. Exactly. Right? I mean, that, to, to your point. Yes. Correct. Correct. Yeah. No, 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's Deuce or bust. If it ends up not being Deuce, you're still in a good spot with a Cooper Flanagan because he's a top 150 kid by a couple different platforms. He's a good football player. Cedric Irvin Jr., like we've kind of highlighted in the past, good, solid football player. You're in the conversation with the Jaden Lamar. It's a situation where you could bring in a second back. But like you said, Brian, the imprint of Coach McCullough and Coach Parker in, in on these programs from a recruiting standpoint is not going to be quantified by 2023. 2024 is going to be the class because they walked into right. a class that already had a committed each position. So right. again, perfect point there. What'll be interesting is if like, maybe they can get a Jeremiah love. Could he have an impact on getting a Jeremiah love who maybe isn't a running back specifically, but can he play a role in getting him? Who's more of an athlete kind of guy. And that, that could, that could be it too. And then the final yeah. coach is, is the one that I would say right now is the, is the biggest mystery, right? Mm-hmm. And that is Al Golden. We've heard his name a little bit, but not a ton. And a big reason for that is, is he was hired right before spring ball. And then of course the focus then is on the team spring ball. He's just now getting on the road. And from everything we've been told, he's, I mean, this is really his, you know, going into his second week on the road. That's it. We're going to start learning a lot more about Al Golden here over the next month or two. What role does he play on in closing on a Jason Moore? What role does he play in, 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 maybe getting them more in the game with a Caleb Downs, right? You know, so Chris O'Leary and those guys have all done their job. Now it's out. Can Al Golden t- help take you, you know, further? Can he help maybe close the deal with Jason Moore along with Coach Freeman? You know, what impact can he have on the linebacker recruit? So we're going to learn a lot more about Al Golden because unlike the two coaches we just talked about, there are players at his position on the board that he has to get. 
right now, Notre Dame has a really good linebacker class with Drake Bowen, who's a top 50 recruit, and Preston Center, who's a top 250 kind of guy, right? But to really be an elite program, you've got to recruit that position and all positions, really, for the most part. But you've got to be able to put them, you know, stack them on top of each other. And for this linebacker class to be able to, to match last year's linebacker class, you need to get Jay Nalsbury, in my opinion. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I still don't, I'm still not 100% sold Samuel and Pemba stays a linebacker. I'm, I'm not even close to 100% sold on that. You yep. need to get a Jaden Osbury or a Darren Gallette. You have to do it, right? To really say, hey, look, you're going out and compete with the big boys on the recruiting trail just like they are, right? Mm-hmm. You got to get one of the two, in my opinion. And so we're going to learn a lot about his ability as a, as a main recruiter. But even more importantly, because look, with Marcus Freeman, recruiting linebackers shouldn't be as hard as maybe it is in other places. You've got right. James Laronitis and Marcus Freeman on your staff, right? That should help. Where I think we're really going to find out about Al Golden is, and he's talked a lot about wanting to be at Notre Dame and want to be a part of Notre Dame, but is he going to fall into the trap of other NFL coaches that come back to college with their eye on maybe other jobs that don't invest in recruiting the way that they invest in coaching? Joe Brady be an example. Uh, I think um, Coach Marone from Alabama last year falls into that category. That's something that I think is legit. And and look, I'm not saying that based on any evidence of anything specific to Al Golden. This is more of a what we've seen from other coaches with similar pedigrees in the past. Former head coach, right? Former, you know, NFL coach. He's not come to Notre Dame to be the defensive coordinator the next 15 years, right? Like this isn't his retirement job. I would imagine he's he's young enough that he still has aspirations. But are you going to fully commit while you're here? That's a legitimate question that's not specific to Al Gold for anything he's done, but it was to be true of anyone coming in with his resume. And the biggest impact he's going to have, in my opinion, is can you help close the deal with the top dudes on the board, the linebackers we talked about, Jason Moore, the corners, Caleb Downs, guys like that that's where he's going to get a chance to really make his presence felt. And that ultimately is what he's going to be judged on, in my opinion, even more so than just the linebackers. Just like Tommy Reese, you know, we talked a lot about the job that the offensive line coach has done, the receivers coach has done. But you know who else's name we hear a lot with recruits? Tommy Reese, right? We haven't talked about him, but he's going to be judged on that. We're not going to spend any more time on him because this is focused on the new coaches. But can we start hearing Al Golden's name mentioned the way that we hear Tommy Reese's name? That's going to be a big key. And and it's too early yet for that because, again, the season just kind of ended yep. and they're just now getting on the road. But over the next couple months is when we should start hearing that. If, if he's going to be put in the work on the recruiting trail that he needs to, you're going to start hearing that through May and into June and July. That's going to be the question mark. And that's what he's going to be judged on, in my opinion, right? No, you're absolutely correct. I, I would say that, you know, we're going to – I don't want to say temper expectations early, but you're going to tread lightly for a little bit because you know for the – Simple fact is Coach Golden is gets on the staff the last of the new co- hires, obviously, with the with the Super Bowl run. He comes in in, in a, a little bit of a strange time, right? You, again, you said it, like right before spring practice starting, so it's not like the most advantageous as far as showing off your recruiting prowess. And then you, you fall into a situation where, I mean, Notre Dame fans know this. The defensive class in 2023 has been higher as far as from a number standpoint, comparative to the offensive side of the football. We know this. So for anything, Al Golden needs, needed to come in there. And obviously he needs to make his touches on just the defense in general and what wrinkles and what it's going to look like, what the ideology is going to be. 
But then you're also, I've talked about it with Al Washington a little bit, coming in and, and making sure Keon Keeley's solid. He needs to also come in and say, like, this is what defense is going to look like. You still have Coach Coach Freeman in here, who obviously has a huge influence, but, like, this is going to be what the defense is going to look like, and this is how you fit into this defense. So there's a lot that was on Coach Golden's plate from a just a coaching perspective and just understanding that, like, you need to solidify guys in 2023 that, yes, this is – the guy that I also want to come play for. So I think that you're, the transition is just a little different comparative to maybe just a traditional position coach because there's a lot on his plate in that sense. But I also agree with you in every, in every sense that there are elite linebackers still on the board. And whether Samuel Mpemba ends up as a defensive end long-term or he's a Will linebacker or a Mike, whatever he ends up being, the fact of the matter is right now you're recruiting him as a linebacker. Yeah, he's, he's an, an elite, elite prospect. Elite athlete. Right. Elite athlete. Right. Yeah. And, and he's right now being recruited for your position. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. So you have an elite athlete in Samuel and Pemba on the board. You have an elite football player in Jay Nosberry. Just fantastic, fantastic understanding of how to play the linebacker position. He's, of course, is in the bayou. He's right. I mean, he, he goes to high school on LSU's campus. I mean, it, it, getting a player like that would be. Huge, but I don't want to undersell. And I, I know we don't talk about him a ton because we're still waiting for him to set up an official visit to Notre Dame. But Darian Gallet is a stud athlete, yeah. man. Like really, yeah. really talented. And, and, player. and more of a natural football player than Impemba. Or Impemba's sure. an athlete that is is not necessarily a natural football player yet. Gallet is a natural football player without a position yet, without a clearly defined position yet. I mean, the kid had 60 catches. 60 plus catches for over 1400 receiving yards last year. <laughs> Silly. And he was, six, a, he was, he like, was what, a quarterback. Six, he was like 6'2, 215 at the time. I think you said he's hit a growth spurt since then. He's now up to 6'3, 225. Yeah. I mean, just uh, absurd stuff. So, like, you've got to get one of those guys. Like, you get one of those guys to go with Drake Bowen, who's a top 50 player, right? Mm-hmm. To go with Preston Zenter, who's a top 250 kid. You know, okay, now now you're now you're stacking those big time classes on top of each other. And that's what's again D line. That's two years in a row. You will stack those classes. Cause everybody talks about if you put those 23 defensive line of the 22 linebackers, I'm like, hey, y'all, let's not forget what they did on the D line last year. Josh Burnham is now there. He was a top hundred recruit in high school. Tyson Ford was a top hundred recruit. At least one servicing rivals had Aiden go buyer as a top hundred player. I had him as a top hundred caliber player with five star upside. And Donovan Heinisch is not a bum that people should be dismissing, right? So it's not like they had some garbage D-line class last year. They had a pretty good D-line class last year. And so you got to stack those things up on top of each other. And at linebacker, to me, getting one of those three guys is the way that you do that. And and I would even argue if you get Mpemba, I would still want to push for another because, again, I'm not sold that Mpemba is going to stay at linebacker, in my opinion. Yeah, but either way, I mean, Impem is a big cog because the perception of him, right? right. Like that is yeah. a big piece, especially because sure. I know people are keep asking number one class. Well, Samuel Impem makes yeah. that a lot more achievable from just a perception yeah. standpoint. So, but I, yeah. but I, I would argue too. I mean, you know, I know the five star ranking, but like Jaden Osbury is a top fifty recruit. Sure, Darren Gallette isn't there yet, but if these services are smart, he will be. I think on three actually does have in the top hundred now. Yeah, I think he's like 60-something. Right. Yeah, he's high but, now. But yep. he's going to keep going up, especially if he stays uncommitted for a while because we know how that – that uh, being uncommitted tends to have a really good impact on your ability as a football player because it helps you rise up in the rankings for some reason. So, uh, <laughs> it, you know, you got to get one of those guys. So it, it's going to be interesting, Ryan. It, this staff has, has really made a great impact so far. So far, so good yep. with the early the early returns on the staff. So I, I think now it's about, okay – 
you're ranked number one right now. It's wonderful. Everything is all, you know, sunshine and rainbows and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's about, no one's going to remember you were ranked number one in June. <laughs> they're, you know, they're going to remember, okay, where were you ranked in December? Where were you ranked in right. February? And that's going to require them to close. So midterm report cards, great. Don't slack off in the second half of the semester, right? That's, that's going to be the key. I say that for you, Mr. Former teacher, you know, you got, you got to really make sure that you can, uh, you can close the semester well. Yeah. Progress reports are fun. I miss, I miss those days. Yeah. As I say, very sarcastically. It's incredibly sarcastically, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so Ryan, that's going to do it for uh, this section of the show. We're going to dive into our mailbag now, but uh, really good discussion. Lots of great in- information there, Ryan. I really appreciate uh, all that you brought to the table on that one. Mark Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.